Hello there and welcome into another edition of the Intersection Podcast with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up on this week's edition, Joel Berry of the Christian satire site The Babylon Bee offers comments relative to the advance of the gender identity movement and how Christians can respond to it. Then it's Callie Logan, who writes for Crosswalk.com. Years ago, she began to write letters to the man whom she hopes to one day marry. Unknown to her, but known to God, she relates how the Lord has worked in her life through this series of letters. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, David Arthur of Precept, the son of ministry co-founders Kay and Jack Arthur, introduces us to a new initiative that is designed to reach out to younger generations, encouraging them to discover more about God's Word. Finally, with an update on conditions in Nigeria, especially related to Christians, Judge Saul of Equipping the Persecuted discusses the needs of believers in that nation and how his ministry offers a proactive approach to protection, education, and economic growth. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Joel Berry is the managing editor of the Christian satire site, The Babylon Bee, and in a recent Meeting House conversation, he offered insight into its new book release, The Babylon Bee Guide to Gender, the comprehensive handbook to men, women, and millions of new genders we just made up. In our conversation, he discussed how satire and humor can be used to point to the gender movement, its extremism, and departure from biblical truth. Here now from that Meeting House conversation is one of the co-authors of that book, this is Joel Berry. The way we structured the book is we, um, we, we started with kind of the, the foundational gender binary. We have a, a, an entire chapter on men and an entire chapter on women to kind of anchor you as the reader. And we had a lot of fun um, playing with a, a lot of those classic male-female gender stereotypes that, that have just been a staple of comedy for since comedy was a thing, you know. Um, and then after chapter two, when we discuss women, it just the book completely goes off the deep end into <laughs> utter insanity as we <laughs> as we explore these other genders. Um, and I think, you know, it, we're not trying to necessarily get across a certain point or or uh, put a certain message out there. I think the main point of this book is really to to present um, gender theory um in a way that exposes um, its ridiculousness and also encourages the reader to, to laugh at it. I think there's a lot of angst and fear and frustration um, over this cultural movement, this cultural gender movement. And um, I think that that's warranted. But I think that it's also important for us to have the courage to stand up and, and treat it with all the respect it deserves, which is none. You know, let's laugh and, and, and ridicule a little bit. Um, I think that that is healing. I think that it, uh, it also um, fosters courage. You know, when we can laugh at something, it gives people courage. And when you look at the the gender binary that we see in Genesis chapter 2, God created them male and female, you actually, as I understand it, you identify quite a few more. I think in the book we, we end up... Uh, identifying over 435 <laughs> or so uh, new genders. And, uh, you know, the, the sad thing about it is that 
since we have written the book, they've added more. So we're, <laughs> we're already outdated. Um, but, and we even have a, we have a gender generator in there. So if you're not sure what your gender is, um, you can plug in some information about yourself and it will, uh, it will tell you exactly what gender, uh, what gender you are. And I, I guess, I suppose the combinations are infinite. So maybe we did have our bases covered there. And I understand that not only do you identify all these new genders, you also help to identify the corresponding pronouns. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's extremely important, the, the pronoun yes. thing, because what, what that has become nowadays is uh, this is like your badge to, to tell everyone else whether you are, uh, you know, one of the good guys or the bad guys, whether you affirm this ideology or not. It doesn't really matter what your pronouns are or how you use them. As long as you, as you have some and you affirm them, you're by extension, you're affirming the, the truth, quote unquote, truth of this ideology. And, um, that's really all that matters. It's, it's a religion in that sense. It's an outward expression of this, this kind of cultic religion that's been formed. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter what they are, as long as you have them and you wear them proudly, and you proclaim them, and then you force everyone else around you to use them um, uh, under threat of great peril. Yeah. We're, we're talking about gender pronouns, and I guess you, you talk about this whole gender identity movement. There are obviously, again, there are these trends that are are truly and be they are being embraced by scores of people these days what do you think are as we might say the the biggest headlines coming out of the gender movement now it's kind of hard to keep up with i think some of the biggest ones that i see right now where this battle is being fought is uh with with sports um we see that uh, female sports has really come under attack um by this this trans movement, um, women are having uh, awards and titles uh, stripped away from them. Some of these, the best female athletes in the world, um, can easily be beaten by a, a you know, a marginal uh, biologically male athlete. And um, and so, I think it's interesting to see that you know this ideology is being enforced in this way on these on these women. Um, well, at the same time, I think the truth kind of rears its ugly head no matter what you do. I, it, I think to anyone observing, um, you have to tell yourself a lot of lies to convince yourself that this is okay. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens on the sports front. Joel Berry here on The Intersection. The Babylon Bee website is babylonbee.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's senior writer for Crosswalk.com, Callie Logan. In a recent Meeting House conversation, she shared about the concept of her book, Dear Future Husband, A Love Letter Journey While Waiting for God's Best. In the conversation, she discussed the inspiration for the practice that inspired it and how God has used the act of writing these letters to minister in her life. Here now from that conversation is Callie Logan. Well, the first letter I wrote, I was 18, and I was just about to finish high school, um, which is so crazy to think about teaching high school-age girls myself now. Um, But, you know, life was changing so fast, and I had so many exciting things that I wanted to share. And I realized, you know, my husband just, it was very evident that I didn't know him 
that he wasn't in my life. But I felt somehow that I already, in my heart, kind of knew him. And I knew he was going to be a great friend to me. Uh, and I, I still don't know him. <laughs> but, you know, I wanted to share those wonderful things that were changing in my life with him. And I thought, well, I could capture it kind of like a message in a bottle if I started writing him letters. And so I started from there and I certainly didn't think it was going to, you know, be well over a decade of, of writing and continuing to write letters, but here we are. <laughs> so that was the first letter. So share with me what God began to teach you as you continued this practice. Yeah, as I began to write the letters more, I realized um, more that this is a human being I'm writing to. It's not an imaginary friend. And I began to pray more for him. I was watching um, a Charles Stanley sermon uh, at home one Sunday, and he talked about prayer and the importance of continuously praying uh, for something or for someone. And so I really felt convicted I thought, well, you know, I'm writing these letters, so I, I think I should be more steadfast in my prayer life for this person. And so I partnered with God a lot more. And as the years went on, I felt that God began to give me, I'm such a curious human being. And so I am so thankful that we have a father that doesn't tire of us asking questions. And I began to ask God more about this person and how I could pray for him and how I could prepare for him, things that perhaps God wanted to make me keenly aware of or work out in my own spirit. And so I did include that um, in some of the book letters, and then certainly in, in the real-life letters, there are, you know, really specific things that I felt that God was speaking to uh, my heart or my spirit that day to just lift this person up in prayer or to be mindful of. I understand that at the end of each letter, you have included a prayer. And I'd like for you to really give some direction, maybe just share some of your own experience of what God has inspired you to to pray for your future husband. What what are some of the things that that you found yourself praying for? You know, I think the biggest thing is that his first love will for always be God. Um, because as much as I do desire to be loved as a wife, I always want to be second to God. And so I think that's probably been my primary prayer for him is that he would love God most and first and that he would have, I prayed Ezekiel 36 one summer just continuously for him. I felt really pulled to do so, that he would have a heart of flesh, one that is led by the spirit, not a heart of stone. And, um, and so those are some things that I've really prayed. And then I've prayed how the spirits led me to pray too. And that's actually opened itself up to prayer for myself. I've felt that the Lord has directed me and guided me in some things and habits I had uh, within me that were instilled or taught as a young child and things that God wanted to uh, sort out in me a bit so that I can be a good helpmate. I can be a good rib and I'm excited to meet this person and get to know his inner heart and say, okay, that's why God was working that one aspect, that quality of me that needed a little bit more pruning or a little bit more refinement. Um, so I think some of the prayers for him have actually led into prayers for me to become uh, what he needs. And, and that's been a really cool journey. And, and that all came from asking God, what, what would you have me pray for him? today? Or are there any things that I need to be more keenly aware of? 
um, aspects of him to be refined. And uh, some things God's just kind of led me into, but it's been a wonderful journey in partnering with the Lord in prayer and just allowing God to do that deep inner heart work uh, within me so that I can be exactly who God wants me to be for his son. Callie Logan here on The Intersection. You can find her online at Callie, C-A-L-L-Y, Logan.com. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can learn more through meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming menu from the homepage at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations featuring recent guests from the Intersection podcast and the Meeting House radio program. And you can find links to the Intersection podcast, to the Media Center, as well as its Apple podcast feed. You can watch video of Meeting House guests through the Faith Radio YouTube channel. There is a link from the homepage. You can see recently added content from the Summer 2023 Christian Product Expo in Lexington, Kentucky. Also through the Meeting House homepage, you can find links to two blogs. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. There's also The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, including Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. Just search for Faith Radio Podcast. Well, this is the Intersection Podcast. David Arthur is president and CEO of Precept, the ministry founded by his parents, Kay and Jack Arthur. In a recent conversation, he related information about a new initiative to reach younger generations with God's Word called YARO. Here now from that conversation is David Arthur. Our mission statement at Precept is to engage people in a relationship with God through knowing His Word. And our vision statement, which is if we reach our mission, our vision statement is every believer in Christ living out God's Word every day. And so we did some research in our own constituency of, you know, who are we reaching? And what we discovered is we were missing an entire generation, uh, the, the 20s and 30s, the, the Gen Zs and the millennials. And so we said, well, how do we reach them? And so we began to, um, to pray and to research. We spent about a year in this process, partnered up with Barna Research Group, a phenomenal uh, Christian-owned uh, uh, research group. And we did a nationwide survey of what we call, or what they call, active faith adults in their 20s and 30s. An active faith adult is, is someone who goes to church on a regular basis, prays on a regular basis, reads the Bible on a regular basis. So it's, it's kind of what we would you know, categorize as a believer in Christ. And so the research came back, and, and we asked, you know, with their help, we asked questions of, you know, what are you looking for? Um, what does the Bible mean to you? How do you want to use the Bible? And they came back to us and said, first of all, there's 20 million of them in America, uh, and they are underserved by the church in general. In fact, uh, David Kinneman, the CEO of, of Barna, um, has been quoted as saying, you know, we're woefully unprepared to reach this generation. And the reason is, is things have shifted. 
the amount of information that comes at this generation is way more than what you and I experience. We we would see on average 500 ads a day, and that's newspapers, billboards, radio, TV. Today they estimate it's over 5,000. Mm. And so there's so much information coming at them that they are stuck. And so when they they told us in the survey, when they go to the Bible, it's not to just study a book of the Bible because that's what I should do. They approach the Bible with a very specific question. What does the Bible say about X? And some of the top uh, categories, my mental health, my emotional health, justice, society, um, community. And so they they still want to know what God's Word has to say, but unlike you and I, what we just said, look, we'll start in Genesis and work our way to Revelation, they have a very specific question. So relevancy for them was huge. Uh, and so Precept had been, you know, since 1970, we've been doing Bible studies in-depth and easy ones and topical ones, and we've covered every book of the Bible. Uh, we're all over the world, 190 countries, but what we realized is that our Bible studies were missing making that connection for the student. And so we began to, to say, all right, Barna, tell us what are they looking for? What are the topics? And how much time and energy do they want to give to the Bible? Um, you know, what, what is their, uh, what's their desire? Do they want it in print? Do they want it in digital? And so they came back and told us, you know, uh, yeah, they want relevancy. They want to be guided, which I found is a huge learning um, they don't want to be spoon-fed uh, God's Word, but they do want to be handheld. They do want help in knowing where do I start, how do I go, how do I handle this text, how do I find text that applies to the things that I'm, that I'm wrestling with. And then I was totally shocked. I, I would have sworn if they're going to go digital. And no, they actually have a huge aesthetic desire for quality, beautiful print studies, but they want both. They want that flexibility to have both the print and the digital. Uh, and so that's where um, Yarrow came from is we sat down and said, okay, we need to build a brand that's going to go target them specifically. Uh, and so if you look at the Yarrow.org website compared to the Precept.org website, you'll see there's a, a huge difference in aesthetics. Hmm. Uh, even in the way we write, uh, there's this uh, more of a guide's voice, more of a someone coming alongside them, uh, welcoming doubt, um, welcoming, you know, um, curiosity. Uh, and so it's, uh, it, yeah, it's very exciting. David Arthur here on The Intersection. You can connect with Precept at precept.org. The Yarrow website is yarrow, Y-A-R-R-O-W dot org. Well, this is The Intersection podcast. The executive director of the ministry equipping the persecuted, Judge Saul, in a recent conversation described the dangerous conditions that are being faced by Christians in the nation of Nigeria and how that organization is attempting to address the security, education, and economic needs of Christians there. Here now are some comments from Judge Saul. That's what kind of separates us uh, from other missions is it, it, we just look at things from a practical standpoint. When I first started looking at the problem and going, okay, has anybody trained any of these villages on basic security awareness skills? Has anybody been training um, village leaders on uh, medical trauma response training, um, intelligence gathering, very 
practical things that you think people would do. And I asked all my Nigerian friends, I said, has anybody done this? And they said, no. They're like, can you bring it here? I said, well, probably. They're like, we need it now. We need it yesterday. And so besides doing the humanitarian things where we do respond to attacks within 48 hours, but we also try to work with village security teams and leaders to say, okay, if you know an attack's coming, how can we save the most amount of lives? And how can we gather intelligence to beg the government to maybe do something to defend them? And, you know, it's all about saving lives for us, but no one has done this. And uh, it just seemed like common sense to me. And, you know, we have uh, security at many of our churches that we go to here in the U.S. Well, that's a foreign concept to Nigerians. Hmm. And I'm just bringing what we take for granted here and, uh, and taking it over there and saying, here's some practical steps and measures you guys can take to protect yourselves and save lives. And we see and we've seen for years, and I know that you've seen this up front and, and personal, that within the nation of Nigeria, there does seem to be at least some lip service of support for Christians who are being victimized on a on a governmental level, not only with the the national government, but also when you look at, well, uh, local law enforcement. I don't know to what degree you find the support there, but yeah, if you would characterize the type of support or lack thereof that these Nigerian Christians are receiving in that nation. It's, it's a slap on the wrist, meaning when, when an attack occurs, um, the police might show up 10 hours later, and if they do engage uh, the terrorists, they'll fire their guns in the air to maybe scare some off. Um, there is very little recourse done against the terrorists. And we've seen situations where the Army actually was in an area, and they told the citizens, lay down. Just let the, let the terrorists march through so they can attack a neighboring village. Mm. Is the lawyer—oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no. And, and, you know, part of it is some people within the government are working with the terrorists. There's no doubt in my mind. Other situations, there are people looking the other way because they're afraid for their own lives. Yeah, I would think that you probably have some in influential positions whose loyalty might actually— well, be stronger toward Islam, radical Islam than it is toward yes. the nation of Nigeria. Yes, and that's, and that's what we've seen really uh, increase in the last two administrations. You had the Buhari administration, which was Nigeria's last president. Now you have the current president, uh, Tanubu. Nothing's really changed. Everything has just pretty much been status quo, and both of them are Muslim presidents. Mm. And... We're just kind of seeing them kind of look the other way and not take these threats seriously. So you have to take these threats seriously as you and your organization, your team actually work to protect the believers. I want to kind of camp out on this security aspect again, because you you think about yeah. radical terrorists and if I can say it like this, the firepower that they might possess to carry out these attacks and it seems to me that security has to be a huge factor here as these Nigerian Christians actually protect their families, their churches, their livelihood. And again, it just makes sense. So how do you do it? 
Well, we are trying to we're trying to figure out better ways to solve that situation. Right now, it's uh, terrorists have AK-47s. The people defending themselves have homemade shotguns. Mm. And uh, I don't know if your listeners know the big difference. Uh, they have a lot more firepower with AK-47s than they do homemade shotguns. But um, it's it's all about intelligence gathering, knowing when attacks are going to occur. We have thwarted several attacks just because of our intelligence gathering and notifying people so they could get forces in numbers to intimidate to uh, thwart the attacks off. Judge Saul here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to equippingthepersecuted.org. In the course of our conversation, he mentioned a new site called Truth Nigeria. It can be accessed at truthnigeria.com. We are nearing the end of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming menu from the homepage at faithradio.org. Through the Meeting House homepage, you'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast and the Meeting House radio program. You can also find links to the Intersection Podcast, and you can find a link to the Faith Radio YouTube channel where you can watch video of Meeting House guests. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. There's also The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. And you can follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.